Hey everybody, welcome back to Very Heroic Living. Today we're going to bring it back to the very first episode where Aaron and I talked about the concept, I guess what has become the direction of our podcast, and that is Very Heroic Living itself is all of our journeys, each of our journeys through recovery and survival and living our lives beyond whatever obstacles, traumatic events, you know, may have occurred in our own lives. So the details of what happened to us or how it happened to us or what we went through, they matter. They're very important. They are each of our stories. But the focus here is really about the universal path that we're all going to take later and hopefully find our way to being healthy and content and at peace, uh, living out the rest of our lives, you know, smiling and enjoying ourselves. So today talking about advocacy and sharing, because that's really what the journey is for me, has been sharing and telling my story. And as we've made it into this podcast together and finding ourselves, I guess, in other people's journeys, um, today we're going to talk with Britta Dornan from the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. And the Every Life Foundation focuses on advocacy and policy change and new legislation for all rare diseases. Connecting with Britta was interesting because I guess, first of all, I wasn't expecting it at all. I typically go looking for my guests and and finding a reason why maybe we should sit together and, and do a podcast episode. But in this case, I found the Every Life Foundation website and they were running a storytelling contest uh, about your journey and have money donated on your behalf to an organization of your choice, right? So so I, I submitted my story and a couple months later, I find out that I'm one of the winners. And so as part of the contest, Britta reached out and asked me if we could sit and do a video conference to have kind of a highlight reel of she and I talking for the Every Life Foundation. And it occurred to me how cool it would be if she would allow us to double our efforts and use that video for the podcast episode. And when I asked her, what she really did was flip the script back in our direction. And she said, no, why don't you guys set this up as your podcast and I'll double my efforts and use what you guys provide for our highlight reels. And so I thought that was really special that she shared that energy back with us and reciprocated and actually said, no, let's do this creative thing that I really love you guys are doing and, and let's go in that direction. And so I think this was really cool because Britta and I were both going to get a lot out of this conversation. And we're both, I think, really aligned personally and, and even professionally with some of our thoughts. So this was really cool. I hope you guys all enjoy. Here is Britta Dornan from the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. Hey, Britta, how are you today? Hey, Joseph. I'm doing great. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me and being part of the podcast, um, for inviting me to be part of this video highlight in the first place for every life. That's really awesome, and I appreciate it. And I'm really excited that we're kind of doubling our efforts here for each other. 
Well, thank you for providing this wonderful platform. It's wonderful to connect with you. This is what it's all about, building the community. Yeah, and and I think we're both very much aligned about advocacy and sharing stories and talk, 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 right? And let everybody else know and make them feel confident and, and strong about doing the same thing. That's what it's all about, sharing our stories right on. So I usually take a few minutes to introduce my guests uh, in an earlier segment, Britta, so I hope you don't mind. For for my audience, I'd like to let everybody know um, I'm here with Britta Dornan, and she is the Director of Marketing and Communications for the Every Life Foundation for Rare Diseases. I'm going to let Britta tell us a little bit more about Every Life, but uh, it's been really nice to connect in the last week or two with somebody who is working as a professional in not just public service, but somebody who's working for all rare diseases and advocacy for everybody in similar situations like us, right? Not necessarily talking about somebody who works and very importantly, right, for specific organizations, of course, and research for particular diseases. But I think it's just really cool to speak with somebody who's addressing this on kind of a larger scale. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always working as a professional and making this my paycheck. But no, uh, I saw that you were an act. You were an actor in a previous life. Yes, that's right. I was. I think it was maybe two lives ago. But yeah. <laughs> But it, but it all started, it all goes back to the um, my rare disease. I'm a fellow rare disease patient like yourself, Joseph. Yes. I live with primary lymphedema. And that's what has really been scripted my life more than, more than acting. And uh, primary lymphedema for your listeners, it's, it, it means that something either wasn't formed right in your lymphatic system or there was damage caused to it. And for me, something wasn't formed, formed right at birth. And lymphedema causes disfiguring, painful swelling. It's, it's, really, um, uh, it's really a challenge. And there's no FDA-approved therapy for it, like many, like most 93 to 95%, in fact, of the known rare diseases have no FDA-approved therapy. So for lymphedema, what I have to rely on, my only so-called treatment, is 24-hour compression. And that means helping to squeeze my lymphatic fluid up my legs towards my heart and trying to do what my lymphatic system can't do. And uh, But it's kind of like, kind of like the the myth of Sisyphus. You know that one, Joseph, how Sisyphus is sure. uh, condemned by the gods to keep rolling the boulder up the hill only to have it roll back down on him. That's kind of lymphedema because you can never really get rid of the fluid. It always goes back down and collects. And so that presents a real a real threat for people like me, a threat of, of infection. And so right. if, if I injure my legs, if I do something... Uh, uh, to injure my legs or break my legs, that could result in furthering my symptoms for good. And so for more than 30 years, I have treated my legs like they're made of glass. You know, I've really protected right. them from injury. And, uh, but now I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for other people with primary lymphedema, but, but it took a while to get here. It took me, it took me some time to get here. 
Now, have you always been using the compression sleeves? I saw a couple of pictures of some things. I know you're advocating actually to get this to be FDA approved, right? You're you're trying to get someone to acknowledge that anyone with lymphedema needs this. Yes, it, it, exactly. This compression, I, I require it. Lymphedema patients require it 24 hours a day. It is the way that we're able to function and live and enjoy life and for me to be able to sit here and do a fun podcast with you. And yet these compression garments are not covered by many insurances and particularly Medicare. And so I do advocate for something called the Lymphedema Treatment Act, to which would enable Medicare to provide coverage for these life-saving, life-sustaining devices. So there is a policy that you've been working and created and you're actually trying to get that put into place. Great. That's right. Yes. I actually just recently, a couple of months ago, as part of the Every Life Foundation's Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill, I met with my congressman, Congressman Beyer, and I met with him and uh, we had a few other advocates on the Zoom with us and his staffer and I shared my story. And today we're talking about storytelling. I shared my story and I presented my ask connected to my story. And lo and behold, now he's a co-sponsor. He decided to co-sponsor the legislation. That's awesome. So that's how it happens. Congratulations. That's how. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's, I think that's actually the perfect combination of the big word advocacy, right? And I guess the more personal, smaller word, so to speak, which is just sharing. Right. And you actually getting to share very personally with somebody from the heart and that somebody was someone who's in a position to get involved, support in a big way. So you also really you really nailed it with the advocacy part of it, too, on that. And I think that's kind of like the perfect storm that we should I want to just illuminate that for everybody highlight that that moment for everyone, because sharing one on one with somebody just to help them out is really important. Yes. And there are lots of us to do that with each other. But we also really need people like yourself who are in these kind of higher level positions where you get to speak with somebody else in a higher level position and really make that connection where it's going to benefit everyone in a situation rather than just, you know, us right here. Absolutely. That's the idea. I mean, we talked about sharing our story. We've talked about advocacy, but advocacy is storytelling with a purpose. Right, right, right. And it, it becomes legal and it becomes about policy and there's there's a focus to it, right? But it is just sharing. It is just storytelling. It it's is. It's really it, important. Advocacy is, is sharing your story and everyone's got one. Everyone's got one to share. It's sharing your story so that you can change what is into what should be. That's sure. advocacy and, in a nutshell. And uh, I think something that I'm curious about as we've gotten more and more into an age where everyone's communicating with each other about everything and anything, how long does it usually take from the beginning of policy creation, especially for rare diseases, to actually get enough attention, to create enough of that advocacy where you can take a policy and, and start really pushing for getting it you know, put into effect? Well, One that, year, five years, yeah. 10 years? That varies quite a bit. I mean, the Lymphedema Treatment Act, we've been pushing for this for the better part of a decade. Okay. And a- another example, there's a, a young man who joined us at Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill several years back, and he traveled from Wisconsin with his family. He has a disease called ectodermal dysplasia, which causes his teeth not to form and develop 
fully and correctly. And so imagine if you just, you know, you need teeth, you need dental work and dental help. And again, similar to my situation with the compression suckings, insurance doesn't cover procedures of that kind. It covers it if you're in a car accident and you get your teeth knocked out, but not if you're a kid like this who's born without a full set of teeth. And so That's this incredible. is, I mean, you need teeth to eat. You need, you, right. he needs it to live, not to mention the self-esteem issues. And so he met with his Senator Tammy Baldwin during this meeting. He met with actually her staffer and t- sharing his story with her impacted the staffer so much. I mean, she's just in tears that she went and pulled the Senator into the meeting. They were so impacted that, that, I believe that year they developed a, a law called the Ensuring Lasting Smiles Act that would that would enact a law that would enable this sort of dental procedures to be covered by insurance. And this senator has been an advocate for him, and it just passed the House of Representatives. Oh, that's and, fantastic! But you know, this has been an evolution of, of several years, so it is a long game. And so I think the takeaway, I think, from what what you're getting at is that. You can't share your story once and expect the the world to change and everything be solved and every issue that impacts the rare disease community to be solved. That you sure. have to really be prepared to keep at it. Mm-hmm. But but yeah. it can be done. I've been really fortunate in my experience with the lack of knowledge at the beginning of our story that my mother was the one who started a foundation that later became this alliance that exists now because we were really close to we were close to the situation in terms of lack of advocacy, lack of awareness. Uh, there certainly weren't any politicians who had any idea what von Hippel-Lindau syndrome or all of these other rare diseases even were. The doctors didn't necessarily even know what they were, right? So like and I know you know you got diagnosed in the same year as my my dad and subsequently my family. So we've been at, at this in our own stories for about the same amount of time, you know, it was a dark, cold place a long time ago where we just didn't get any help and we didn't get any support. And so that, that stick with it part, that long-term part of this is really important. And that's the only way really, right? Is that people who are here and can continue to share as, as often as they can, at least with each other in their groups and support that larger effort. Yeah, and I th- and I think what this brings to mind is really the evolution of advocates. I mean, it's not like sometimes this happens, but it's not like you you, you get diagnosed and suddenly you're ready to to tell your story and be out there uh, talking to members of Congress. I mean, you're most often you are dealing with that diagnosis. You are figuring out sure. how to manage. Have have you seen in that evolution of advocacy, have you seen a shift from people advocating on behalf of other people more towards people advocating on their own behalves or on behalf of their own group of afflicted folks, you know, people with particular diseases or, or you know, whatever the situation is? Does, does it seem like people are more proactive for themselves? Well, we've seen growth across the board in engagement in patient advocacy. And I think there's been, I mean, th- there has been an explosion over the last decade of patient-focused drug development. I mean, that concept is now uh, is now a thing in our community, and so we've seen more and more community members 
ready to be engaged. And, you know, Joseph, when we, you, you, you back to 1998, that's the year that, that, that I was uh, diagnosed. And I think that was your year, too, that you were diagnosed. 89. Or, or 89. 89. Okay. 89 was the first presentation of my symptoms. Go back okay. then. There was no such thing as social media. Right. There was no such thing. So now we're able to find one another more and hear about these opportunities. And so there's, it's, it's easier to build our community and grow our community. But sure. we started Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill, for example, with about 50 people in a restaurant in D.C. 13 years ago. And now the past three years, I've seen it grow and grow and grow. And you know, we were up to close to a thousand when we held it in person a couple of years ago, and and a couple of months ago it was 650 people who participated virtually. So we've seen the the growth, and we've seen the growth in advocates continuing their journey year round as well, which is really the goal, which is what we want because advocacy right. is not a one and done thing every year. It it, it really is going to be more successful if you develop relationships. That's what we, 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 we would love. Our goal is for everybody, you, me, every one of your listeners to develop a relationship with their member of Congress. So it's not just coming back once a year. Oh, hey, remember me? It's Rare Disease Week. Yeah, you got to listen to my story again. But it's really developing a relationship to them with them throughout the year and finding out what matters to them. What are their strengths as members of Congress and, and how can we work together and, and touching base and staying in touch like they're a, a, a friend throughout the year. And so that's what we're focused on is trying to trying to help people to in that advocacy journey and help them keep it going year round so that it doesn't take 10 years to get a bill passed. So would you would you say reaching out to every life is a good place to start to learn about you guys provide information contacts do you guys do you help guide people to their congress people and 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 try to encourage their advocacy from there Absolutely absolutely that's a, that's a great step I mean that's why we we exist we exist to empower patients to become advocates for these, you know, bills, legislation, policies that'll bring about diagnosis, treatments, and cures. And so we, what we do is we provide the, the training because first of all, in order to tell your story with a purpose, you have to figure out what is your purpose. You have to learn about the issues. You have to become educated and we're here to help educate advocates. We have webinars and trainings and events all the time so that, so that, People like us can learn about what can sometimes be complicated policy, but we, we try to make it so that it's, it's accessible, so that we can understand. You know, this is what's going on. We're trying to sure. you know, improve things at the FDA this way, that way, and the other way so that we can get treatments faster. And so we train folks, we offer these trainings so that, so that you can figure out what resonates with you, what connects with you most. You know, for me, it's this coverage of these darn compression stockings. For others, it might be wanting to, to lessen that diagnostic odyssey that everybody goes through. So they might be more interested in newborn screening, or maybe they're into improving 
uh, genetic testing for folks or clinical trials, you know, whatever it is that interests you, you first got to identify what it is, what gets you going and, sure. and develop that. And then what we do is we, we schedule meetings for you. We connect you. We literally, we set it all up. You know, you just got to click and join the zoom or, or come and show up in DC. And, and now that we're, we're, coming out of COVID, it's, there'll be more opportunity because as you may know, come August, the members of Congress go on recess and they go back home to right. their district where they're supposed to be meeting with their constituents. And so we take advantage of that. We set up meetings between constituents and their members of Congress in their offices right there in the state that you live so that you don't have to travel all the way to D.C. So we provide opportunity, training is an opportunity for you to share your story and make these asks so that you can build these relationships and and change policies that'll save lives. So you actually have, I love this, you actually have resources to take people who are willing to be storytellers and hone some skills and I, I, the the actually setting up the meetings and really putting people in the positions to be advocates right then and there. I think that's really cool. You don't need to know a thing except your own personal story. You come to us and we'll, and we'll teach you and train you and lead you along the way. And and there's just there's no wrong way to tell your story. And and you just need to to reach out to us. At uh, you could take a look if you go to every life everylifefoundation.org. And you can poke around and you can see the, the different issues that that we're working on and that we're working with advocates to advance. And you can see the different ways to share your story because meeting with your member of Congress is one way and there are other ways. And what you do right now on your podcast, sharing your story in, you know, with media, that's another way to share your, your story. Uh, we, we teach advocates how to reach out to their local media, their TV and radio to share their story and, and, and the policy asks that they're working on. We, we offer opportunity for advocates to share their story through art. We have a rare artist contest that opens in June. And so we believe that art is advocacy and advocacy is art. And so you can, if you, if you, I am not personally inclined that way. I can't draw a stick figure, but if you, uh, if you so are inclined, you can, um, you can submit your artwork and we choose, we choose awardees and celebrate that artwork. And that helps to get attention to rare disease sure, issues. Sure. And, and I, I've actually seen that firsthand, how much attention it gets. People really appreciate seeing anyone of anyone really of, of any situation expressing themselves like that, especially when kids are involved and it makes the kids feel better about themselves. It makes the kids feel better about having a situation that they're going through in the first place. They certainly don't feel so alone anymore because now there's usually a group setting where all of the people in the room are making art and passing around crayons and paints and things. I think that that's really fantastic. I'm going to look more into that myself. You absolutely should. The pieces are so inspiring to see the impact or, or a, a rare disease visually in front of you and how that individual, you know, what what they're seeing and what they've developed about that shows how it impacts them or how it's impacted their family. It's incredible. And our office in DC at the Every Life Foundation is, is plastered, is just wallpapered with, with these different rare art that that have won the the contest we have them printed on canvas and 
It really is something. It really is. But, but it goes to show you that's what helps to advance and make change. It's someone, whether it's a member of Congress or someone else, hearing a story, seeing a piece of art. It's connecting on a different level so that... Right. If, if we don't make an impact, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not about, I need to get this bill passed. It's, I need to save this person's life. Right. Yeah. And another way that, that we offer folks to, to share their story and, and make an impact through advocacy is through an online form that we've developed that you have taken advantage of, Joseph. And it's, it's basically, it's what I call, it's what I call a story bank because anyone can go on to our website and you go, you, you go to our share your story form and you answer a series of questions that were prompted that you're, you're prompted with, like how has I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, just to interject that, I love the series of questions. It was a nice guide. Oh, good. You, 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 you well, we asked questions to to make it a little easier because if it's just a blank share your story, that can be kind of tough. But what do you mean? You know, so we, that's why we ask things like, okay, so. Did you have problems getting a diagnosis? No. Oh, yes. Let me tell you about that. Mm. How does it, you know, have you faced discrimination? Are you in a clinical trial? You know, to, to really make it a little bit easier for, for folks to think of, of their story and get it out on paper. Sure. I think, I think a couple of those questions, even for me, were questions that I haven't necessarily been asked quite so specifically. So it helped because I've, t- you know, I've, we've talked about in different environments as a family and as individuals, you know, discrimination and insurance difficulties and financial difficulties. And, but to have those questions posed to you in writing and have to answer them in writing was just kind of a a different way for my mind to process some of my own experience. It really is. It is therapeutic in in a different way but similar than the the rare artist contest is expressing yourself in words and putting it down on paper and it it is therapeutic but it's also really helpful for advocacy because these stories are coming to us at the every life foundation and now when we are meeting with key leadership in congress we can search in the story bank and say ah okay we've got joseph's story let's let's pull these photos that joseph shared with us and some quotes from what joseph said and that helps us to communicate with that member of Congress. Or when I'm reaching out to different media outlets, for me to share someone's story, that's what they want to hear. And and we right. also share these stories on, on social media and on the website to encourage more storytelling. So that's what it's about. You know, most of my, my immediate family and friends who wrote me or called to say, hey, I saw that, you guys, that... You won an award for your brain tumors, huh? <laughs> you know, we had do we yeah, we had some good jokes too. Um, but I, I think I think what I heard most was actually about the other two stories that were highlighted. Oh, did you did you read about the other woman who's now a medical specialist and she's like she's she's like one of the leading people working on a cure for the thing that her brother passed away from? And and I mean, of, of course I did, because that, you know, getting into this, that's part of it. Right. Sharing your story is not as interesting and exciting, uh, oddly enough to say, um, as listening and reading other people's stories and not feeling alone and and seeing what some other amazing people and, and events have sort of, you know, transpired. And so I thought that was really cool to hear 
responses from my own immediate network to be so enthusiastic about the other people. So I thought that was really cool because my family already knows my story. My friends already know my story. Anybody who's been in my life more than a few months is pretty well aware of what's going on. And so it's really nice to hear them get emotionally connected and enthusiastic about seeing those other people sharing too. So I, oh, I, I think you, I could it, see it working. That's so exciting. But I'll tell you, it was not an easy decision for us. And just to catch your listeners up, we ran a story contest, a rare disease story contest last fall through this year's Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill. And Joseph was one of those who submitted their stories. There were more than a hundred folks who submitted their stories. And we had to choose three to highlight and to choose as our awardees. And each of these three awardees would get to choose their patient organization of choice for us to make a $1,500 donation to. And And Joseph was one of the three whose stories we chose. I was, I was really excited to be a winner, uh, but it, it was it was really nice to hear that I could I could don't you know have some money donated on my behalf. I do work pretty closely with the uh, with the VHL Alliance these days, and they're a really good team of people. And of course, we're all scrambling for funds and awareness. And I know you you connected with Chandra. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works out for both organizations because she's kind of. She's not necessarily been with the VHLA for too long, but she's like you, right? She's got she's got years of experience and she's kind of a powerhouse herself. And I imagine that the two of you working together will be really great for both sides of that one. Yeah, I'm really excited about getting to know her more and to work with uh, the VHL Alliance. They're, they're a powerhouse, clearly. And so we, um, yeah, I, I, with you... You know, Joseph, I I would love I gotta ask you, what inspired you to share your story with us in the first place? What made you do it? And what made you think to to do it? What were you hoping to achieve? This, I guess, in in some at to some level, this conversation somewhere, just share my story and see what was going to happen. Um, I'm basically just looking for different avenues uh, to to share. And I've been doing that for the last few years a lot um, because I think for the first 25 or more years of my own journey with VHL uh, disease, it's been up and down with our own surgeries. And like you, like you said before, when it's happening, when you're being diagnosed, when you have procedures coming up, there's really nothing else that you can focus on. It's hard to hold down a job. It's hard to hold down a regular life, you know, and the more frequent things are, the more difficult it can become. And in my case, there have been multiple brain surgeries and radiations. And there's like, it's just like a long, relatively frequent journey in my adulthood. And in the last few years, I've been pretty healthy everything's been very stable. And because of VHL disease being tied in with the kidneys, I now also have kidney cancer. And when I got placed in front of an oncologist, the timing was that phase two of the now approved Welly Reg trial was just about to start. And phase two is being opened up from the renal cell patients to also include VHL patients because the diseases are so related, they were already seeing a correlation and benefits to both diseases, to to both carriers. So 
I got placed on this, I got placed on this clinical trial. And from there, almost immediately, my oncologist and, and the geneticist and one of the head nurses had all kind of said immediately, you know, the Alliance is looking for an ambassador. Um, we think it should be you. You've been in our offices just a few times, but you're pretty good at talking about it and you're comfortable with it. And so that's kind of what we need the most of. So back to storytelling and advocacy, that's what they needed. That's what they knew they needed. And from there, it's really just gotten to be kind of a more and more type of situation where first it was be an ambassador, connect with VHL disease patients, talk to the people in, in my community, as it were. And then from there, talking to Chandra and the team at the Alliance, it was an opportunity to act as a translator, which my mother and I do. Uh, we've got our own little business and we've been translating in, in and out of Spanish um, unofficially for years in, in a variety of settings. And we, our first official project uh, was to translate the VHLA handbook from English to Spanish. And actually, so we rewrote the handbook in English because it was very, very medical and very clinical. And we sort of rewrote it with our heart involved a little bit more so that it was a little bit more geared to patients who were going through the ridiculous stress and severity that are, especially for parents with suddenly diagnosed children. All right, it's it's this huge trauma. There's all this emergency involved in it. There's a lot of urgency very, very right away in their situations. And so when you're learning about the illness, whatever it is, it's really hard to hear it when it's just one piece of information after another, after another, without a breath or without a little kindness and understanding to it, right? So we had an opportunity to do that and and working on that for months just... I don't know. It, it, I, a bunch of switches were flipped and all of a sudden I wanted to just make that more outward. And so I started looking for different ways to share and the podcast, I, I actually reconnecting with Aaron, my friend from years ago, we met when we were a freshman in high school and it's years later and we reconnect and, and he's a producer uh, about to start a business uh, hosting podcasts. And it was just the the timing of it was just too perfect. And so I said, hey, I've had this on my mind for a while. This is what I'm thinking. And we dove into it. And uh, and now we're a few episodes in. And that's kind of the, the journey that I took over the last few years to become my own advocate and kind of for whoever else I can. Yeah, it's that journey, Joseph, that we could see in the story that you submitted that is why you you were one of those three awardees. It was that evolution from patient to patient advocate that so many of your listeners and people in the rare disease community, it resonates with them. And finding that place of empowerment like you have to serve as an ambassador and to help the Spanish speaking community and to start this, this podcast. But I'd love to, to know more about the podcast is not a small undertaking. I mean, that's, that's the thing you're committing yourself. You're putting yourself out there. And so I love to know, you know, what do you hope to accomplish with the podcast? Where is this headed? I have no idea. <laughs> no, I, I in in the in the pilot episode, I try to as clearly as I can 
just describe what the concept of very heroic living is because it's the only thing I have to call a direction. It's the only goal that I really have is to express that whether you have lymphedema or von Hippel-Lindau disease, or you've lost a parent, or you suffer from depression or anxiety, or you are the victim of abuse of some sort, or I could or and add, right? The list is unfortunately really, really long, the things that we all go through. But after we go through them, we all grieve, we all recover, we all cry, we all sort of suffer through the same things on the inside. And so the journey that I find most of my experience has brought me to is it's like, it's like the exact same thing for all of us. And if you can find other people who are in close to you in that journey, it's a really good way to just connect and not feel alone and feel a little bit support, even if it's just in knowing that somebody else is going through it. And again, for whatever the reason, it doesn't really matter how we got there. What matters is that we're all doing this whole living and breathing part together. And if we can just acknowledge that, maybe like that's that sense of community would be a little bit wider and everyone could feel a little bit more like a little bit more equality to things and a little bit more kindness and understanding on a broader scale. And so very heroic living. It's about all of us. And I think that's really that's it right there is is the goal. And sitting here talking to you today brings me back to that, I think really strongly is to remind the audience that that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about Joseph and we're not talking about Britta and we're not talking about specific diseases. That's my story and that's your story. And so that's, you know, us as individuals. But the thing that makes us connected here is the kind of like the aftermath of that. And where do you go and how do you do it? And how do you survive in the first place? And that's very different for people based on what they're going through. But then how do you live the rest of your life and make your own choices and navigate and just live wholly, right? That part is where I find it to be a little more universal. Um, I spent about 10 years working with a camp, Camp Jinka. Uh, Jinka is the last name of someone who we lost to uh, brain cancer, astrocytoma, I believe it was. And the camp was started to focus on families who had been affected by brain cancer, because that's who the person who started the camp, that was their journey. She lost her husband. She knew some other people with similar situations. That was their focus when they started. So she, she puts this camp together and almost immediately what starts to happen is people with other situations start reaching out. Hey, my husband was hit by a car last year. And my kid is in and out of therapy and I'm afraid, you know, he's 12 right now and I'm afraid by the time he's 15 or 16, I'm going to lose him to drugs or worse. And what do I do? And I heard about this camp from a friend of mine whose kid has brain cancer and I wondered if maybe. And how does a true philanthropist say no in a moment like that? And so, of course, you know, this person is accepted and almost... From there was the beginning. Now this camp evolved so quickly into what whatever your situation was, it was a place to bring children from toddlers to teenagers into a group scenario. And it was mostly art therapy. And we basically just had workshops for three weeks. And the workshops were all geared on expressiveness and connection 
and the boys played sports outside and took the little boys over to fish and taught them. And the little girls were taken by their hands by the older girls. And so it was, you, you just immediately started to see that the, the age differences were, they were, they were almost like accepted and taken care of naturally by the people in, in the moment. Right. And, and they were all kids. And so we just started from there and, and they all were walking this similar path. And so Years after that has been going on, my brother and I are talking about camp. My my brother, who we just recorded with last night, who's been my my partner in crime for for all these years with VHL, we were talking because uh, we we were printing T-shirts, and and he's an artist and a musician, and he was making the artwork, and I was printing T-shirts, and we were sharing our story that way too. And he said the words "very heroic living," and we didn't know what to do with it. But they were right there and they've just been rattling around in my brain for years. And so those kind of experiences lead back into 2018, back to this clinical trial and being in front of a few new medical professionals who are saying to me, talk, 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 talk. We think you're the right person to keep going. So then the podcast, uh, about a year and a half later, I find myself doing this. Well, I think that the, the sense of community and bringing people together, whether it's in that camp or through this podcast, is what can help move mountains. I mean, that, that there's nothing like connecting with people who, who've been through something that you, that you can relate to. It's kind of what you're yeah. describing the camp. It makes me think of uh, when we have Rare Disease Week on Capitol Hill in person and everyone's getting together and it's kind of like a camp. <laughs> you're all together. You're you reunion together. a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah, so you reunion. You're, you're meeting people. Sometimes for the first time, you're meeting other people who have your disease. That is that is often sure. the case. And we've seen them. We've seen disease groups taking pictures of themselves, of their, you know, we have a massive group photo of sickle cell patients and caregivers the the last time we were, we did it in person and and I posed with my lymphedema patients because you're, you're proud and you found your your sisters and your brothers and you've yeah. gone through something that that you know you, you've all been through it we've all likely felt very alone in it too so that is heartwarming for each of us as individuals, right? Getting together with others. Yeah, yeah, but it's not, it is not always easy for everyone to do what we're talking about. Not everybody is willing to get in front of the microphone like you have and put yourself out there. And so I, I would love to, to know, Joseph, your advice for maybe somebody listening who who's thinking, God, you know, Oh my gosh! The thought of me typing my story and submitting it online to some stranger, or or going to a, an event like Rare Disease Week where you don't know anybody. I mean, what do you what do you say to somebody who you know who's maybe thinking about it, but it's really intimidating to them? Somebody else is also sitting somewhere feeling the same way, and one of you is in dire need of the other. I like that. It's so true. Yeah, we. I mean, we. That's that's why you're doing Disease Week on Capitol Hill. We need each other. We need people who are healthy to help people who are sick. We need people who are sick to teach people who are healthy what it's like to not be whole and just living and 
ask for help and know that it's okay to ask for help and know that you're not alone and just hear that anybody else is out there banging their head against the wall because they don't have any answers and there isn't a resolution and why me or why my kids or like just like all the things that we go through. Yeah, we are just so in need of each other. I love that. It's so it's so true that there's someone just like you sitting out there thinking the same thing and and we need you. We love you. You're wanted. We you know, it, it's community. Yes, exactly. Right. That's the mantra. We need you. We love you. It's community. And and if everybody has a few people who can keep going in that direction, that number, like you've said, the number grows. You've seen the groups get bigger. You've gone from 15 to a thousand because it matters that much. And the 15 had that much impact in the first place that it, right. So that might be like somewhere in a very heroic living advertisement or something that we're going to do later. It's like, we need you. We love you. You know, cause that's, that's it right there. How, um, how do you make, make space for advocacy in your life? I mean, you've got a job that, ha- you know, you got to pay the bills. You got to, you have to manage your disease, going to the doctors, whatever care that entails. How do you make the space for it? He just shove it right in there. <laughs> I, it's not easy, right? It's not easy. As as comically as no, as comically as I could have said that, I am just completely serious. There's no that, and I think that's a big deal right there. Is that there's just no time for any of it. So you just gotta, if you if you can, right? Ready? I don't have kids. I do have a wife who also has a salary. So I don't have the huge responsibility of children. We don't, but we do have each other in terms of just the really really normal. I bring up money first, right? Because everybody, oh, money, 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 right? Because what are we going to have if we don't? So the the dual salaries thing and the not having human children's thing is is it's a really important quality or or qualities to even allow for this. I have to take time out of my personal life for it. Quite frankly, I'm working with my producer pro bono to make this happen in the first place because he's acting like an advocate by supporting me to even do this because we talked about it and he, he saw enough value in it that he's like, look, we'll go for as long as we can go and I, that's not what I need from this, right? So I, I right from the beginning, it's been made to feel valuable enough for me to take time out of mine and my wife's lives to bounce around in my own emotional well-being and find all of this stuff. Cause sometimes I don't want to be in front of the camera or on the mic and telling anybody. Um, so, you know, some, some days uh, are just more difficult that way, even when you are an advocate. So I, I appreciate all of everyone else's energy that really helps. And, and sorry, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, a no, bit. The, that, the, that kind of buddy system helps too. If there's somebody yes. helping to hold you accountable for, for, Hey, you know, Right. Hey, when are we going to do that next episode? Yeah. 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 Um, It also, it it also helps that I've been in this situation for such a long time in my life 
that I have a lot of different directions that I feel brave enough, I guess, to even reach out. My oncologist has said he's willing to be a guest on an episode. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I have to engineer that conversation though. You know, I got to come up with my questions and kind of come up with a direction and, you know, pregame with him a little bit and that sort of thing. But in the first place, I have a really good relationship with my oncologist. And so we talk about all this and he's actually one of the people who encouraged me to become an ambassador and be an advocate. So in that sense, he was also working as, you know, in advocacy. And so now I want to kind of reciprocate the energy and get him involved and actually say on an episode, I might not be sitting here doing this podcast if it weren't for you. Becoming an ambassador was the first time anyone encouraged me to really open up my my mouth in a community setting rather than in a personal setting. I've been telling my story for 30 years, whether it was as a kid and it was happening and I was telling my first therapists or whether it was the first adult romantic relationship that I had ever been in. And I'm on my I'm on date number one, having a beer, telling this story because I felt a really strong connection with somebody. And I was like, you know what? I don't even want this to go into next week without you knowing there's a dead end here. There's not family and future and all that stuff like most people want. That's certain, right? So I've I've had a lot of versions of my story that I've had to tell. And so now it's just a lot easier. And I've seen the whole thing from different places. I've also been in and out of multiple surgeries. So like my mortality is not such a big deal anymore for me in terms of being afraid of it. It's still huge, obviously. It's my mortality. I don't, you know, I don't want to die, but I've been really close a few times. And so there's a little bit of what are you going to do that I've developed, which makes this easier. It's like, um, not a callous necessarily, but a little bit of freedom. Well, a sense of mortality will help you prioritize, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, absolutely. But I think I feel like oh. there's, to manage our diseases, it helps to build a support system, of course. It's good to have family and friends and medical team. You need to be, in order to be successful, to manage and cope and process and and deal with your disease on so many levels from the not just from the the medical and physical but the navigating insurance and and uh, keeping up with your career and whatnot but i feel like for advocacy you need a similar support system to keep you on track that that might be different people but it's like you need those people who the go-to people to keep you, you know, instead of being engaged in the latest medical help for your disease, but engaged in the latest opportunity for you to share your story. That's someone to help um, encourage you and, and to tell you, this is important. I admire you for doing this. Keep going. And that person, you know, these may be all different people, but somebody to help hold you accountable and say, look, this is something you said you were going to do. And it's important to you, you know, I want you sure, to do it. Sure. You know, what can I do to help you make space for that? You know, what can I do in your life to help you and I get something done, clean the house or whatever, so that you don't have to do that and you can go and do this. I, I feel like it, we really need to, to think about that for, for people who are listening and, and are interested in sharing their story and engaging in advocacy that you need support for that, that going it alone is, is tough. Absolutely. As an advocate yourself for such a long time, I know that you've been doing, uh, you've, you've got 
uh, lymphedema diary or diaries.com. Yeah, lymphedemadiary.com, yes. And I do find it incredibly challenging to keep up with any regularity for posting because that is on the side, right? That's not, I get paid to work for the Everlay Foundation for Rare Diseases, not to do my my blog. But what keeps me going and keeps me at it are people in my life, like my husband, who encourages me and, and, and helps to give me space for that. And... Uh, and my, my mother, certainly, and she, my, my mom is a writer herself, and so she'll, she helps me edit. You know, having that someone okay. to actually literally be helping me with the blog is key. So sure. that's why I ask you the question, because, because it's challenging. It's challenging to keep up, but it's, it's incredibly rewarding. You get such a high. The more that you help other people, the more it helps you. It just give, comes right back. It is. It is. I actually have been doing sporadically for a while now. I was very consistently doing a a daily breath on social media, just about a minute. Stop what you're doing. Hang out. Eyes front. (laughs) Take a deep breath. Have a moment of peace. Shut out all the noise for a moment. It's going to be right there in 45 seconds, you know? Um, And I've gotten even just that. I've gotten a really interesting and wide response from people about when I don't do them for a while, oh, I missed that. Hey, where have you been? I've had people write and check in on me. I haven't seen your daily breaths in a while. Are you okay? Actually, no, I haven't been okay. I'm going to be, but I really appreciate you checking in. I just can't be in front of that stupid camera right now. It's, yeah, so a little bit of sharing, just even not without a story, just a little bit of sharing at all seems to just go a long way and people respond. And so yeah. a little bit of, a little bit of that. But I, I, from my experience, sometimes we also need that kick in the pants or that wake up call that drives us to move forward with something. The mm. reason that I, that I created the blog, lymphedemadiary.com, the reason I created it, I created it, in a two-week period in response to something that had happened in my life. I I was going about my business. I was working for various elected officials in, in a communications capacity. I was helping support um, elected officials by speaking on their behalf and developing messaging for them and whatnot. I, I, I was finding real, real meaning in that, in that work, and I did it for a number of years. And... One day, I was going door to door for one of the wonderful elected officials that I was working for, and I knocked on one door, and out from that door came two crazy dogs. Apparently, I had missed the beware of dog sign at the end of the driveway, and these two little buggers came at me and tore up my legs, like bit through the stockings, bit through the skin, like, you know, my legs that I said I have to treat like glass. And really, I mean, I, re- I, re- I recovered. The, the physical wounds turned out not to be that, you know, I, I healed. But I, at the time, I was so scared that this was going to impact my lymphedema. It was going to make it worse. And it impacted me psychologically more. It was a real blow, that fear. And I remember sitting in the emergency room with, you know, my shredded compression stockings. And for the first time, I really felt like a victim. And I hated it. And I said, Oh, no, 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 no. Forget this. And I said, 
you know, like kind of been thinking about it. I'm going to pull the trigger. I am going to make my voice heard. I'm coming out. I really didn't talk about my disease at all. I didn't want people to judge me for it or have it affect my employment. And I just said, forget it. I'm coming out. And I started lymphedematediary.com so that I could share and empower other people like me with the tips and advice that I wish I had been told back in 1989 when this all started. But it, and that's it right there. It took that kick in the pants though. It was, you know, that's what it took. It took for God to make this happen where I was, you know, these dogs literally coming after me saying, you have to do this. <laughs> and that's what started my advocacy. That started it all. And so sometimes it's a, a real wake up call that you experience that you don't miss it, you know, respond to it. Yeah, to it. that's, I'm. Um, I'm glad, I'm really glad you brought up a few points there. And that's, I think one of them is that be observant, pay attention, be mindful. The things in your life will direct you in some way, shape or form, especially if they're traumatic or random or significant. There's, you know, you can usually take something from that. So I think that's really awesome. And for everybody else, I think it's really important that we remember to not fear judgment or to not feel shame over having an illness or experiencing depression or anger or sadness or happiness or anything else that makes us human, right? And some sometimes that's the number one thing I've found talking to people is that somehow they thought that they were going to be looked down upon. Uh, I remember, I remember when, when cancer was like a no, no word in conversations, like people didn't even want to bring, right? Yeah. I see that look on your face. It was it was like uh, like like a like a mark uh, of of evil or something. You know, people didn't want to have anything to do with that part of the conversation. And I I think that's changed a lot. Where people are being like you said, empowered to share their stories. Your weaknesses, your strength, the the things that are wrong are not wrong and bad. They're just not whole and healthy. And so you got to battle a little bit, but they're not worth feeling judged over. Yes, right? I think there's there's certainly been a growing acceptance and appreciation of someone who takes control of that disease and, 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 and or rather, let me put it this way, feels empowered enough to come out and, and speak openly about their disease and to advocate to their friends and family and their network. Certainly, we've seen more of that. However, I absolutely respect and acknowledge those who are not ready for that, have different boundaries than I do. Yeah. It's easy for me now to say, you know, to be out and proud about my rare disease because it, it is my employment, it is my career. But there are many folks who, who, who fear and repercussions from their employer sure. or you know, other people in their life if they share their rare disease. And there are ways around that. So don't let that limit your involvement in advocacy. For example, you can control when and how your story is shared, right? Like with the Every Life Foundation, we're not going to share your story and your photo and everything about you online, unless that's something that you want. For example, my sister also has a rare disease. She has primary lymphedema, but um, she also has another rare disease that produces brain tumors, actually, NF2, neurofibromatosis type 2. And she is an advocate 
on Facebook, but not on LinkedIn, for example, because that is, you know, she, she doesn't care. She doesn't need her employer to know about this. She wants to yeah. advocate and be active and control which channels her message is going out. And so those are options, right, to control who is seeing your advocacy on social media, for example. And you can control and you can make, draw those, those boundaries. So there are our advocates, the thousands of advocates that engage with us, they're each in different places, in different levels, and prepared sure. to share their story in different ways. We need it all. Even just amongst the ambassadors for the VHL Alliance, there are about a dozen of us, and our whole purpose together is to be this group of patients who are advocates within the community, but not all of us are willing to go to D.C. a couple times a year. There are only one or two who do, and the one or two who do are actually the people who don't have VHL. Their kids do. And their parents even, and one of them, they, she, there's one woman who has parents and children with VHL and she doesn't have it, but she passed on the gene before anybody knew that the disease was in the family. So, you know, so there's a lot of really kind of unique situations, even where somebody who's just a quote unquote healthy person is the person you need to go out into the world a little bit more and choose to speak on that level. And like you said, and you don't have to. You can keep your story where you want to keep your story because there are there are advocates who are willing, capable to do different things, right? Or to speak to larger, smaller, different groups of people. Right. I'm so, so glad you brought this up because because another aspect here is that that COVID has introduced to us virtual advocacy. So we have seen a great uptick in patients being able to engage in advocacy because of that, Joseph, because they can't always travel and come to D.C. Yes. So, but now they can do it from their own homes. And so virtual advocacy is, is not going to go away now. It's not going to go away. So sure, sure. Yeah. I think I think if anything, you're in a prime spot with that really to to really grow advocacy overall and just make all of it one big package deal, right? Like virtual and in person can now just coexist. Yeah, it, exactly. We we are planning our first hybrid event for this fall. In fact, yes, and that that so so the opportunities to engage in the ways that work for you as a patient or caregiver are growing. And, and that really makes me very happy and hopeful. Absolutely. It's nice to feel happy and hopeful about a lot of these things, right? That we spend a lot of time on the other side of that fence. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to be fixed. There's a lot of things to address, but there always yeah. will be. And so, well, yeah, we just, we just have to take it one day at a time and keep chipping away. Well, I appreciate all the work that you're doing and all the work that the Every Life Foundation is doing. Certainly, I'll be sure to add, you know, the URL and some other kind of contact information into our show notes and make sure that when we share on social media, we, we make sure that part of that share is to let everybody know how to get in touch and how to learn a little bit more about themselves or about how to be an advocate for others or, you know, whatever it is that really, right, whatever it is that you need right now in your life as a patient or a caregiver and there are avenues. And so I'm glad to share the Every Life avenues. 
Thank you so much, Joseph. This is wonderful. It's been great talking with you. Same here. This has been great. It's wonderful to meet you and keep up the good work and congratulations on, on all the success with the policies, especially recently. And I, I look forward to talking to you soon, Britta. Sounds good. Take very good care. Bye-bye. Thanks, you too. On our next episode, I hope you'll join Aaron and I with my brother Michael for our very first ever Very Heroic Living Cocktail Hour. What do I mean by that? Join us next time and find out.